0: Coming up today on The Story. God just said to me, Wendy,
1: that's where I want you. And I just had absolutely no doubt. Now, my boyfriend at the time, um, you know, shared this with him and, you know, and he said, well, he didn't really feel a call to the mission field, to Ecuador. And so, you know, I had to come to that decision. Do I go with where God is leading me or do I...
0: Choose to get married and have children and stay in Australia. The Story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, today we have part two of our conversation with retired missionary Wendy Freeman, who's the author of the book Beauty for Ashes A Journey of Faith and Healing. Last time, Wendy shared about her troubled childhood and how she was rejected by her mother and abandoned by her father. However, she also shared how her Heavenly Father completely transformed her life. Today, we'll pick up the story as Wendy has trained to be a nurse and is in Bible school. Her boyfriend at the time was a representative of a ministry called HCJB World Radio, which is now known as Reach Beyond. He gave her a pamphlet about the ministry and she found out that in addition to being an international shortwave radio ministry based in Ecuador, they also had two hospitals. After praying about it, Wendy felt the Lord had called her to be a nurse there in South America. Now, here's more of Wendy Freeman sharing her story with Eric Scatterbo.
1: Now, my boyfriend uh, at the time, um, you know, shared this with him, and you know, and he said, well, he didn't really feel a call to the mission field, to Ecuador. He wanted to just represent the mission here in Australia. And so, you know, I had to come to that decision, um, do I go with where God is leading me, or do I choose to get married and have children and stay in Australia?
2: Oh, wow. That's quite a decision. So you stay in Australia, you're married, and your life is very much different. Exactly. But you you decided to follow the Lord exactly. to South America. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was a Mind sacrifice. you, I didn't
1: know where Ecuador was when God told me. I had to get a map out. <laughs> I knew it was in South America, but I didn't. I didn't know where. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, um, you know, I got a bit of flack for that decision, but um, and and
2: strangely, well, what, what were people it, saying? What in the world are you thinking? You're you're giving up what, your why, husband, your potential and, well, husband.
1: And you know, and why are you giving up a good career in nursing to go over there? Yeah. I mean, this is some of these are Christians, right? Yeah. And and um, even my own church, you know, they thought I had my wires crossed because I didn't go to Baptist Mission.
2: Mm.
1: You know, God, I must have had my wires crossed because, you know, I was going over to Ecuador with HCJB.
2: Yeah,
1: um, but you know, God had called me in such a clear way; I had absolutely no doubt mm. that that's yeah. what God wanted me to do. So, well, so, let, let yeah. me just
2: interrupt. To give a little background, that HCJB were the call letters for the radio station that was started in Ecuador by an American named Clarence Jones. Do I have that Mm -hmm. right? That's right. In 1930. So it was the first radio station in Ecuador, I believe. And so Mm -hmm. the call letters were HCJB. So that's where the name of the ministry got its name uh, Mm -hmm. from being the radio station. It mm-hmm. since changed its name to Reach Beyond, and I'm sitting in the Reach Beyond studios at the moment here in the east side of Melbourne. And I should say on a personal note, my wife Jean and I were also missionaries to Quito, Ecuador with HCJB World Radio. But our time in Ecuador was much later after you had left, so our time did not overlap. Mm-hmm. But I do know about the places that you'll be mentioning in mm-hmm. Ecuador while you're there because, yeah, so so I, I also struggled to try to learn Spanish, was not very good at it. How did you do learning Spanish?
1: Um, well, surprisingly, a lot better than I expected oh, because I hadn't had the opportunity to do any languages at school. Mm-hmm.
2: Some people you know, either have it or they don't. And I was I was functional, but not very good. I wasn't conversational.
1: Well, you know, I think it really helped me being a single person hmm. and living with a Costa Rican family oh, okay. with yeah. six or seven kids. So how long were so you I in had, Costa Rica?
2: Um,
1: I, I think it was seven or eight months. Okay. And, so um, immersed
2: in the Spanish-speaking culture there.
1: Exactly. Well, they spoke no English, and I spoke no Spanish.
2: So it was sink or swim.
1: It was sink or swim. And, you know, my trusty little Spanish dictionary And sign language Mm -hmm. was what got me through. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I had six kids in the family and mum and dad, so that's eight teachers helping me. And, you know, going to language school, um, I had classes in the afternoon. So I studied in the morning Mm -hmm. and in the afternoon I had classes. And in class, we weren't allowed to speak any English at all. Oh, wow. And it was was a bit like being a a baby learning how to talk. Mm Mm-hmm you know, a little child learning how to talk. And, I mean, I think I was able to get to the point of being able to make myself understood, you know, Mm. conversationally, but we didn't get taught any medical terms. And when I arrived in Ecuador, I had to learn pretty quickly because someone was trying to tell me they wanted to go to the toilet or they wanted to throw up, and, you know, I had to learn pretty fast the terms for things like that as well as you know what you call a drip and what you call you know tablets and all of these kinds of things and i had to write my reports when i was working in the keto hospital and the shell hospital in spanish oh my goodness you were were far more advanced than i ever got (laughs) and you know somebody has said to me if you speak a language for 10 years you never forget it and hmm. I think that is true because I have got a few Spanish-speaking friends that I may not see very often, but the minute they call me or I meet with them, it's there. And oh, wow. um, It's just, you know, the switch I can't is remember just, anything.
2: <laughs> really? Buenos <laughs> dias, <laughs> that's about it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, Como
2: estas, you know, that's about it.
1: <laughs> that's pretty good. Um, you know, and I'm just very grateful, yeah. you know, to to have that because… I can still communicate with my friends, mm-hmm. you know, I can still email in Spanish uh, to the director of nursing, you know, who yeah. still lives in Shell and things like that, you know, that I'm still in touch with over there.
2: Yeah, we had an Ecuadorian uh, maid, Uh-huh. and to this day, she posts things on Facebook to us, mm. and I always we have used- to click on Translate.
1: Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Oh, that's lovely. <laughs>
2: just uh, just yeah. to kind of get have an idea of what she's saying. <laughs>
1: yes exactly so anyhow yeah. let's
2: get let's get back to your story how did it go being a missionary nurse in ecuador
1: um well the first three months were fantastic and mm. then there was the honeymoon honeymoon was over
2: oh what happened
1: um it was a little bit difficult because i expected to have culture shock with the ecuadorians mm. but not so much with americans
2: oh oh because here we, we go speak the same
1: <laughs> language or whatever yeah. you know yeah and because I trained did my nurses training when I did there was no university degrees
2: mm-hmm.
1: so uh we we trained on the job mm-hmm. and we would have um a block of classes and then we'd go into the wards and we'd put into practice what we learned and and I kept getting asked and what degrees do you have um oh. But uh, the the problem um, I had uh, with the some of the Ecuadorian nurses was um, in Australia, nurses aren't allowed to put in drips. They may be able to now, but back then it was the doctor's role. Mm-hmm. But in Ecuador, the nurses put in the drip. So I actually had to learn how to put in a drip. I became oh, okay. very good at it because mm-hmm. um, I, you know, I'm I'm quite a practical person and um you know i find the practical aspect of nursing you know very very easy mm-hmm. but it was ha- it was a hard adjustment at first okay you know but i mean i loved i loved my work uh, it was very hard work and we you know we had a lot of uh over time you know we were working very long hours mm-hmm. and um
2: and things like that you know So this is late 70s when you arrived in Ecuador?
1: Yes, correct. Correct. And the other thing that I found difficult was that I was a trained midwife, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't allowed, you know, I wasn't allowed to deliver any babies because Mm. the American model was that the doctors did delivered the babies. Mm. So, you know, there was either Latin American obstetricians or some of the missionary doctors. Um, it was very much a, a male-dominated world, mm. and it didn't. It took till I got to Shell to be allowed to have have much to do with delivering babies.
2: We should say that Shell is the second hospital that the Ministry of HCJB had in Ecuador. Yes,
1: that's right. And uh, went there in uh, 1981.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But you know, I was I was struggling a bit in Ecuador because. A few things happened. Um, one of the Ecuadorian doctors tried to have an affair with me. Oh. Got me stuck in the corner somewhere, and I told him, you know, invited me to a hotel. Maybe I oh. shouldn't be saying this on air. On um, but, I mean, this is
2: reality. Yeah. I mean, this is the yeah. kind of things that can happen if you need to yeah. be aware of it. Yeah. So not all the doctors there were Christians. Exactly. And that
1: was part of the problem, I think, with some of the staff as well. Mm. The staff and, and the doctors, you know, they weren't Christians. So they really didn't have the same calling as us, and they worked very hard, mm. um, but they didn't have the same calling.
2: It was an occupation for them, whereas it and was a calling. Ours was
1: a calling, and a right. ministry yeah.
2: for the missionaries. That's exactly right, mm-hmm. yes. But uh, how was your faith challenged while you are there?
1: Um, well, I felt like God... You know, God was the only one I had, kind of thing. I mean, I had, you know, had, there, there was a lot of single women, and we we had a lot of, you know, time together, and we did we did stuff together, and I went to a singles Bible study, and that was great. But I think because of my perfectionistic behavior mm-hmm. and expectations of myself, mm-hmm. you know, even though our workload was so heavy uh and you know people were really sick i mean sicker than what i've ever nursed in australia because mm. often they would come when it's too late mm. you know and i i found I, one day i i just felt so overloaded i just felt like i i just couldn't keep going it was on an evening shift mm. and i called the director of nursing and i said you know look because i mean i i had a high capacity to cope mm-hmm prior to this, you know, throughout my life because of what I'd I'd had to deal with as a child. Mm -hmm. But I just called her and I said, look, you know, we're just so busy. We really need some help. And she said, well, there is none and hung up on me. Oh, So I found that really hard, you know, because if I had been in her shoes, I would have come over and maybe put in a couple of drips for Mm. the person. Um, but anyway, it didn't. It didn't happen. But as time went on, I got to the point where I, I basically just couldn't cope anymore. Mm. So I did call the director of nursing, and I told her, and she uh, referred me to um, May Yeoman, who was a counsellor and a missionary. And you know, I, I kind of told her a bit of my story, and she said, "Oh my goodness, you poor little lamb," and she said. Um, you know i just don't understand how come you're not mad at god Mm. and i said well why should i be mad at god god didn't mess up it's only my parents who messed up and i just felt like um it just you know had got to crisis point it just all got too hard and i just Mm. couldn't cope with with life um anymore and to be honest with you um about getting my faith tested i was considering an exit
2: plan. Oh, out of being a missionary, out of life. Oh, complete so, exit um, plan. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're suicidal, you are saying.
1: Yeah, yeah, but you know, God rescued me. You know, and I was able to to gradually, you know, with with help from May, um, get to the point where you know I was able to um, continue on. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know. I'm not saying I I didn't enjoy my my missionary life or work, Eric, because, you know, it was such a joy to finally arrive in Ecuador and be in the place God had been planning for me to be for so long. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah.
1: And I loved my work. Mm -hmm. There was just too much of it.
0: You're listening to The Story. Today, Eric Scatabow is once again chatting with retired missionary Wendy Freeman, who's sharing her life journey and some of the challenges she faced being a missionary nurse in South America. We'll hear more of her story when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. We're back with more of Eric Scadabo chatting with retired missionary Wendy Freeman, who's sharing her life journey. Before the break, we heard about some of the challenges she faced being a missionary nurse in South America and how the stress of the role was having a negative impact on her. Now we'll hear what happened next in her life.
1: And at that point, I hadn't learned that the need is not the call.
2: Oh, what does that mean?
1: That, um, you know, there's all this need. so. You can't be the one to fix everything.
2: Oh, okay. The yeah. call
1: to fix. Do you mm. know what I mean? Yeah. You know, you, you, you see you all this. You have to be
2: able to put up boundaries. You still have to be healthy yourself before you can that's serve That's exactly anyone. right.
1: And and that's something I wasn't good at mm. because I didn't know how, you know, because um, because of, I guess, being the oldest in the family, mm. I looked after everybody. So just looking after everybody else but yeah. me. Mm. And because I wasn't looked after, I didn't know how to look after me.
2: So that that's an important lesson to learn, anybody in ministry. Exactly. You, you felt like, well, I have to do this. God wants me mm-hmm. to do this work. It's good work, yeah. and, and there's a big need. So it's hard mm. to say, no, sorry, I need some time to rest. I mean, mm-hmm. the truth is that we all need to get rest and rejuvenated from mm-hmm. time to mm-hmm. time. And if mm-hmm. we don't take care of ourselves, mm-hmm. we can get burnt mm-hmm. out.
1: Mm-hmm. And even, you know, um, in in the paperwork that I received before I went to the mission field, it said that, you know, your your ministry takes priority over everything else. You know, so, and it was, I mean, it was a bit like that um, when I was nursing, you know, my duty as a nurse, you, you had to be dead before you could have time off.
2: Hmm.
1: You know what I mean? You so just that does not sound compatible
2: dead. with take time for yourself and have some rest time.
1: That's exactly right. You know, and this is what I've, I have learned over the, mm. you know, through this whole experience, yeah. um, that there has to be a balance.
2: Right. A healthy work-life balance.
1: That's exactly right, because I can't be an effective missionary if I don't have time, you know, to rest and relax. Mm. And I think one of the things that I found really, really hard was our rosters. And often we were rosted on, you know, I had been rosted on at times nine days in a row.
2: Oh, my goodness.
1: And all three shifts. And so there was this, uh, you know, this tension between, you know, the other missionaries, you know, working nine to five in the studio, say, and the nurses working, you know, nine days in a row and yeah, so, all three so, shifts.
2: So us but, radio guys who are just working in a studio...
1: Nine you do five. nothing <laughs> compared. <laughs> no, I don't mean you know. I, I and I don't have it against you guys, but I just feel like um, with the mission, with with all missions, I think you know, and and especially in an American mission, because Americans often are workaholics, and mm. I was a workaholic, and that's mm. not a good combo.
2: Yeah, so it um, just kind of exacerbated the problem.
1: Exactly, exactly. You know, you know, and I know I need to take responsibility for maybe not having spoken up. Not that I may, I may not have got a hearing um, to say, you know, that, hey, this is too too much. But I wasn't the only nurse who burnt out.
2: Yeah. Um, Speaking of burning out, that's what happened to you? And you I were, got burnt and out. And you were diagnosed yeah. with chronic fatigue syndrome?
1: That's correct. Now, um, to just backtrack a little bit, in 1981, um, this position came up in Shell, and I was asked if I would like to go and I went,
0: um, mm-hmm.
1: uh, you know, and I was so much happier in Shell because
2: it was just such a different environment. So you were in the big city hospital right next to the compound where all the radio across was the being road, done across, across, the across the road, the road yes. there.
1: And then I went to, um, a shell. Which well, is a little, five a little hours.
2: town, how, how far a little we? town.
1: It's five hours. Okay. From I Keto. never made it
2: down there, but yeah. So in the jungle.
1: In, it's on the edge of the jungle, okay. the, the yeah. eastern jungle of Ecuador. So um, I, I absolutely loved it down there. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, well, we were working long shifts then too. I think uh, not so much long shifts but uh, long stretches
2: mm-hmm.
1: and just being the who I am and, you know, we were on call and, and things like that. And because I didn't talk a lot about... My background, people didn't really know my background much and um, my friends were on opposite shifts to me so you don't get time to debrief and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. So after my first term, um, I felt like I'd adjusted to Ecuador, the culture, loved the place, loved the food, loved the people and then um, my second furlough I came back and it was it was so much easier in my second term sorry it was so much easier mm-hmm. because I had adjusted oh okay and I didn't have to go through that that process again
2: mm-hmm.
1: and you know in in shell my gifts other than nursing were being used as well
2: oh okay so that had to be fulfilling
1: It was really good, Mm -hmm. and I was able to help women in labour and teach prenatal classes Mm -hmm. and and so on. That was really special and um, helped deliver a few babies. And then um, we were going to build a new hospital, so uh, I was helping with all of the sewing side, making screens for between the beds and Mm. sheets and curtains and, and everything, you know, and it was You know, it was pretty special.
2: So we should say that, obviously, there were challenges that you're sharing about, but in and amongst that was also some very fulfilling time doing what God called you to do. Exactly, exactly, yes.
1: You know, in in no way do I want to convey that it was all really, really difficult. Um, There were just times when it was hard. But I think that's to be expected, especially when you're in a third world country, you know,
2: I just remember the crime.
1: Yeah, well,
2: a lot more um, crime than I would, I was used to.
1: Well, the thing up. was, when I was there, it wasn't so bad.
2: Oh, is that right? It was
1: fairly. It was. It was a lot safer, mm. and I had no problems traveling on my own.
2: Oh, okay, um, that's good. How far away from the hospital did you live?
1: Um, I lived up halfway up Pachincha.
2: Oh, we were at the top of that road.
1: Oh, you at the top? Okay, yeah. yeah. Well, I was fair way up there um steep hill got plenty yeah. of exercise
2: yeah and uh, yeah. that's the highest altitude of any capital in the world i believe that's right so,
1: so you takes, just
2: walked a block or two you were feeling very tired
1: yeah well it took me um a little while to accustomize to the uh, altitude yeah it takes about three months for you to acclimatize in mm-hmm. that your your blood cells increase to carry more oxygen Mm-hmm. And that takes about three months. And I was actually jogging up there.
2: Oh, wow. No, I I just took a taxi home myself.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And walking up that hill, I got plenty of exercise too.
2: Taxis were cheap. I just took a taxi home. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Well, that was part two of Eric Scadabo's conversation with Wendy Freeman, who's the author of the book Beauty for Ashes, A Journey of Faith and Healing. As we're hearing, Wendy faced some significant challenges on the mission field and learned some valuable lessons along the way, especially about the need to have a proper work-life balance and about getting a healthy amount of rest so she could be refreshed and rejuvenated. In ministry, and in all of life, we cannot give to others if we are running on empty ourselves. So it's important that we take time to fill our tanks up as well. Well, thank you so much for joining us for part two of Wendy's story, and we invite you to join us again next time for part three. Until then, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story.
1: The missionaries were the blood bank. So we all, all of our blood types were recorded in the lab. We had a guy who had a snake bite and he needed blood and, you know, I was caring for him. Off I went to the lab, my blood matched and gave him blood, you know. But it was just a really sobering thought to realise, you know, I'm giving my blood to save this guy's life and Jesus gave his blood to
0: save me. Wendy Freeman joins us once again to share more of her story and more of her life as a missionary nurse on the edge of the jungle in Ecuador, South America. That's all coming up next time. The Story. story. Just another way vision is helping you look to God daily.